Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. There's an old saying that writing about music is like dancing about architecture. It's intended as a dig at music criticism. But beneath that, there's a deeper truth there. Music is intangible, subjective. It's universal, yet still deeply personal. And while, yes, science and math are involved in its creation, there is something undeniably mystical about it. And that mysticism is worth exploring. I'm Sean Elling, and this is The Gray Area. The music you're hearing now is the 1985 song, I Am Sky, by today's guest, Laraji. The 80-year-old pioneer of so-called new age music has been sitting in the lotus pose on the fringes of the music world for decades. And recently, he actually joined Andre 3000 on stage for the first performance on his New Blue Sun tour in Brooklyn. When he was young, Laraji experimented with acting including a role in the landmark film Putney Swope. He also spent time in the 1960s stand-up comedy scene in New York. But after he became interested in spiritual communities and discovered the auto harp, he devoted his life to music. So, naturally, I was delighted that he could join us today to talk about music, meditation, spirituality, and laughter. Laraji, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. I'm so glad you're here. I have a lot of interesting people on this show, but you, sir, are truly one of a kind. So this is a, this is a treat, really. Uh, it's unique to be here. It's new age communication. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm so intrigued by all the artistic interest you've had in your life. You've done stand-up comedy. You've done acting. Obviously, in the end, you gave yourself over to music. Um, why music, above all else? I think music has the most immersive impact, transportive impact on my life ever since a child. Even though I didn't verbalize it, I went with the flow of music, whether it was for dancing or listening on the radio or was in church. It was uh, no contest about 
the winner. It was music and sound that could shift me instantaneously. And I liked that I could use music to please others or to set their feet moving or to inspire them to sing along. So I enjoy the power of music, almost the undisputed power of music, to set inner settings in which uh, alternative realities become clearer. You know, I've always been fascinated by stand-up comedy in particular. It's, it's the thing I'd do if I had the talent to do anything. And I don't know, maybe it's a strange question, but did the experience acting and, and doing comedy make you a better musician or was it just creatively a totally different thing? Uh, it's the same thing, Sean. It's wherever I choose to open and give expression to, I'm practicing the art of surrendering and spontaneity. And that carries over from music into humor and a lot of my laughter life is involved with spontaneous interaction, social interaction with friends. And that's the same kind of spirit, free flow, inventive spirit that I depend upon in music and proposition. I think that's why I'm a lousy musician. I can't, I'm too in my, my own damn head. I can't just open up and let it go and just, you know, be in the flow or however you would put it. Surrender, I guess, is the way you put it. Yeah, I think people who have trouble surrendering, I said, Observe your body language when you have your next orgasm and see how. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to see that. <laughs> but you look at your breath, look at your body language, look how focused you are into surrendering to this energetic uh, expression. And I see some of that expression carried over into the way people uh, sing pop music or rock music. They're into the most orgasmic, passionate level of release. I mean, do you think of yourself as primarily an improvisational musician for those reasons? That question is a very good question. I'm tempted to say yes. I depend more on improvisation than I do on set scores. I find that improvisation is aligned with uh, what I call my spiritual belief, that every moment is new and to trust that what I need in this moment is here. I've been listening to a lot of your music, preparing for our chat and so much of it sounds otherworldly to me, like in the best sense possible. And I feel this way when I listen to great musicians who just seem like they are convening with some kind of creative energy or creative force that I just can't touch, but at least I can vibe with it. Mm -hmm. That's what fuels artists' enthusiasm to have people like you to, to serve. <laughs> so... You are uh, part of the reason I, I like doing professional music and doing shows, that I feel that I'm able to articulate, maybe express for you what you would do if you were in my shoes. Musicians always talk about that, you know, where they feel like they're not writing or playing music, it's more like they're conduits. I mean, is that, yes. is that what it's like for you on stage? Yes. And it's magical and mystical and transportive place because it's you're witnessing somehow beyond linear time flow, but you're in the midst of local time, but you're also witnessing an unbroken, constant present time. It's speaking through me and it's speaking as me. It's like it's my total presence at that time. I'm sound, I'm space, I'm timelessness.
And then I'm witnessing in the midst of this going on. And music that happens surprises me at times. It's like music I can't dream up. Part of my art is knowing when to get out of the way, how to set up a musical flow or a musical event, and then to step to the side of it and let it speak through. Your instrument of choice is the auto harp, which is not exactly conventional. What is it about the auto harp? Well, how you open the question, my instrument of choice, well, it's the instrument that was chosen for me, Uh through me. (laughs) Fair enough. I would not have chosen the instrument except for a mystical communication event in a pawn shop in Queens, New York, 1974. Oh, tell me more about that. Yes. It was at a time that I was married, child, and we were living with my in-laws. And I was playing jazz rock piano with a group called Winds of Change. And on one particular day, I felt like, you know, my finances were low and I had a good Yamaha steel string guitar that I wasn't using it, although I loved it. I decided to take it into town. South Ozone Park, Queens, and pawn it. And as I was going into the store, I noticed in the window, right-hand side, an auto harp. And I remember thinking to myself, there's that chunky-looking instrument I used to see in the village when I did stand-up comedy. So I go into the pawn shop. I'm ready to exchange my guitar and the Martin's fiberglass case for $175. And the clerk only offered me $25. And uh, I said, whoa, that's not going to work. And just about then, the the clerk and I were the only ones in the store, so it was very quiet. And there's this moment of, am I going to really settle for $25? And this very clear, distinctive directive came through. It says, don't take money, swap it for the instrument in the window. And so here was something trying to... uh, helped me make a choice, and I thought it was way out. How was this voice appearing? And and I heard it so clear, there was so much love and so much wisdom that I just had to see where this was gonna go. So I left that pawn shop with $5 on the auto harp. So when you said instrument of choice, Something in that, it's also my life of choice. Something has impacted me in such a way as to make choices that are more aligned with, I would say, a higher intelligence. You also sing, not always, but the singing, it feels part of the music, like there's little distinction between the instruments you're playing and what's coming from your voice. Do you think of it that way? Your your voice is just another instrument and not something separate? Yes. I do like doing everything at the same time. Spontaneous, unified flow, creative flow with several instruments at the same time. Using the voice without calling the the mental process into linear thinking.
using the voice as an emotional expressional instrument is what I've been exploring, especially with uh, meditation or deep contemplation of contacting altered planes of conscious present time. And so to talk about it is to take the mind out of it. Then there's sounds of passion, passionate immersion. Uh, the voice can be used to express witnessing inside of an awe-inspiring perception, just to be in the passionate emotional moment and to let it speak through and use the body, not just the voice. So the whole body becomes the voice and the breath and the movement and become a conduit and so invented or improvisational language can be the evidence of a person or a practitioner in total immersion, total submission, getting involved with a total perception that's beyond linear description. I also consider that if you can use gibberish some call it gibberish, or glossolalia, or talking in tongues, to relax the mind from its conditioning mm. into gathering linear information. So the mind is given, or the brain is given a vacation. And in that vacational place, it might be freed up to have an alternative space-time experience. And that might be the message the artist wants to convey, that there is an alternative way of being conscious here and now. I've heard you talk about music as a tool for total presence, like a way, I think the way you put it is, it's, it's a way of dropping into the now. And I like that. Well, why do you think music has that kind of effect on us? Music generated or channeled by the right musician or artist, the uh, artist is uh, in a state of contemplation or meditation or a suspended time awareness and the languaging that occurs with their instrument, their interaction with their instrument and with their voice can convey this repurposing of the human instrument, repurposing it from a conveyor of local human-based emotion to uh, a conduit of exalted emotion, direct perception inside this timeless present moment. It's always available certain sounds. Drones can do that. Music that's very spontaneous, that can pull the mind out of linear thought, could allow the perceiver, the listener, to suddenly, directly notice the reality of eternal time and the infinite space. Sound works primarily as a uh, suggestion, through suggestion, and it can point to the invisible. And sound can suggest the flowing of energy, the flowing of blood, the flowing of breath. It can suggest that the integration of seemingly separate and discordant uh, aspects of anything. It can provide a model of an all-pervading unity and harmony. In the case of a harp, where all 36 strings are vibrating at the same time and producing this synergetic tonal event. So it is to say that Sound can, through suggestion, it can point to the invisible, it can point to the transcendent. Mm. It can direct the emotional body out of 
heaviness so that a lighterness, uh, a more ethereal resonance can be directly witnessed. That is so damn interesting to me, you know, um, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> there's that laugh. We're going to talk more about that briefly, but you talk about talking and how that kind of gets us stuck in linear time in our heads. And, you know, once we start using words, we're already in the world of ideas and abstractions, but music is more primary than that, right? It touches something in us that existed before we invented words. It's primal, I guess, in that way. Yes, I agree with that, Sean. Music might be able to say more than what speech can say in the case of getting an audience to drop into deep relaxation without using words but using sound or to get a group of people roused up and in noble pursuit of an ideal vision. My general mode of operation is to prepare before performance or recording through just dropping into a refined sense of the meditative field, do some yoga postures, some breathing exercises, some positive affirmations, and then to sculpt this field or point to this transcendental field and letting it transmit itself into a sound representation through me. Mm. When this happens, I tend to call it sound bath, celestial sound bath. So it's for immersing the immersion experience. And once again, here we're away from the words and we're into the, the pure impacting force of sound. You do sing, though, and, uh, and you do have lyrics on occasion, and, and one of your earliest recordings is called All of a Sudden. Yes. All of a sudden, it's a different world, it's a different time, it's a different mode of vision. All of a sudden, it's a different path, it's a different time, it's a different sun in the sky. And, you know, all of a sudden is this refrain about the spiritual awakening. And is that how you experienced your musical or spiritual epiphany? As in, you know, it was just sudden like that. Does, does the song correspond with the time when you felt that shift? Yes, very much. That was visiting Florida at the time on a tour of doing inspirational music and songs. I was interfacing with several spiritual communities that practice meditation, and I would join them. And what I observed in meditation experience is that I may have forgotten why I'm meditating until, boom, all of a sudden I realized while I'm meditating this is to contact a different version of present time. All of a sudden it's a different sky, it's a different reason, it's a different world. Uh, I discovered that earlier in long hours of sitting meditation, that a different version of the universe slips into view, something that's always been here. So actually, when I say all of a sudden, it's really all of a sudden I'm ready to have this experience. All of a sudden, it's a different game, it's a different place, it's a different state of mind. All of 
a sudden it's a different world It's a different rate of vibration clearly It's a shift in perception It's a shift in the way that I am uh, gathering information And it's a beautiful experience too Because the tendency is to search along the plane of the linear That I'll get there one day, I'll get there tomorrow I'll find it in somebody else's yoga session Or in somebody else's religious manual But the preparation for yoga is to be ready now Learn how to relax and stay relaxed When there is a divine epiphany or divine intervention How not to block it, not to over intellectualize it with words but how to be ready for this sudden emergence or the sudden revelation or the sudden opening of the doors of perception and that being ready means to how not to freak out <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually called a bad trip a bad um, psychedelic trip when all of a sudden is too much all of a sudden i don't have a body what is this all of a oh, sudden yeah. i've been there yeah. it's rough <laughs> That's right. You just got to hold on for dear life. Okay. <laughs> until you come out the other side. Yes. Do you actually find a meaningful distinction between music and meditation, or is it all just different manifestations of the same practice? Well, that is a super dandy question because my ultimate answer is that they're one and the same, mm. meaning that in the moment of deepest meditation, I consider meditation to be the highest romance, and that romance is the highest meditation. My experience of a very high, if not the highest, romantic meditation is and was during listening to a cosmic sound current going on where I am, pervading all that I am, and pointing to a self that is beyond the body. So this meditation is simultaneous with music that couldn't be separated. So to answer your question, yes, in the deepest and fullest experience that I call meditation, there is a musical event when we can debate what is music. It doesn't have to be the top 40 Grammy Award winning hit. It can be the movement of energy and consciousness in such a way that has balance, form, aesthetic quality, it has equilibrium, uh, and mystically, it has a very clear mathematical character. Why can't I hear the cosmic sound current, Laraji? When I sit on the cushion and meditate, I, I find myself just sitting there thinking about meditating. Really? Which seems to not be the, the, the idea. My answer is that you are aware of the inner sound current and that you are not aware of the you that is aware. Hmm. That's my answer. You are aware right now, but there is a you that you're involved with that is not allowing the you that is aware to be your dominant present time experience. So once again, I'm saying everything everywhere is permeated by a cosmic music. So to answer your question, why don't you hear it? My reframing of the question is, why aren't you aware of yourself hearing it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, maybe just, I don't know. I, I don't. What is the most glorious, awe uplifting sound listening experience you can remember? The sound of my infant child laughing. Ah. Most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yes. No doubt. That's beauty. That's music. 
When we get back from the break, we talk about Laraji's development as an artist and a chance collaboration with one of the world's most revered producers. Stay with us. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. That guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Your name, Laraji, where did that come from? Laraji as a name came out of an association with a spiritual community here in Harlem, which centered around a bookstore on the corner of Lenox Avenue and 125th Street. I would offer my music at that time by sitting outside of the store or in the vestibule. On one of these occasions, Two of the spiritual community members approached me and said, you know, we've done some research and we've taken your name, Edward Larry Gordon, Edward Larry Gordon, Larry Gordon, Larry G. And we've morphed it into a name that includes reference to the sun god, Ra. These spiritual community members didn't know that I was already looking for a name and I intuitively suspected it would be three syllables and have something to do with the sun. So when they approached me and said, we have a name for you, we want to suggest it, I said, uh-oh, I was a little concerned because if I didn't like the name, I would embarrass somebody. <laughs> I said, let's meet in Central Park tomorrow, and you can reveal the name to me. We get to Central Park, we found a place, and they revealed the name to me as La Raji, which is a gentle transition from Larry Gordon to La Raji. So I was very impressed 
with this synchronicity. And I accepted the name there in Central Park. My friends took it very easily. My biological family members thought it was interesting. They, they made a sincere attempt to use the name. My mother was very polite. She would make an attempt to use <laughs> the name. She, but she reminded me that whatever you call yourself, I'm your mother. <laughs> Her favorite words was, take care of yourself and you're taking care of me. Was this around the time, as you mentioned earlier, you were you were busking, you were performing music in the streets of New York, and that led to a fortuitous collision with the very famous musician and producer Brian Eno. How did that come about? Yes, I was playing music in the parks and the plazas of New York City and Brooklyn. What I was doing was earning money while testing the idea of channeling or performing music in altered states to see what could I bring any meaningful, uplifting experience to New Yorkers, random public audience. And it turned out to be so that the Museum of Natural History, Central Park, and one of my favorite, more constant places was the northeast corner of Washington Square Park. One evening, I was performing with my eyes closed, as I usually do, cross-legged, sitting on a carpet, in one of the uh, cobblestone circles there. And that's where... Brian Eno left me a message in my zither case, introducing himself and an idea he was offering to listen to a project he was working on he thought I would be interested in. So I call him up. Next day I go to visit him and we have this talk. I'm still not clear who he is. I just know he's a producer and he worked with Fripp and Eno. But his energy was that he was an avenue to getting my music into a high-end recording studio. This was also the time during my spiritual practice to practice scientific praying. What that is is affirmations. Whatever you want, you act like you got it, you think like you got it, and you develop a sense of emotional presence as if you've got it. And since you don't know what it is that you want, you don't particularly give it a name, you just use generally right, the word right. So I remember praying for the right producer and the right producer coming into my creative life and the right producer finding it uh, very inspiring to work with me. So it turns out that the right producer was Brian Eno and I never knew Brian Eno. I didn't know enough to know that that would be the right producer. So there's that meeting of Brian Eno and the Day of Radiance album. It's so good, my God. I just felt an automatic shift of my attitude of being in the studio, I shifted to a very high professional attitude and feeling that I was connected to a very classical inner conduit that would come out as beautiful new music. None of that was prearranged or written out or scored. It was all in the moment after doing my usual preparation of centering and getting into a flow state. 
When did laughter become such an important thing for you? It uh, shifted the energies of the bullies in my neighborhood when I was young. To use humor, I wouldn't be so afraid of their presence when I could use humor. And in church, we'd use humor when the church would get boring. And because I wasn't the right place to use it, we'd use it to get some of our other peers to laugh in the middle of a serious sermon. But I noticed the power of laughter to alter, to break the sense of rigidity and separation. I began writing scripts in high school and doing situation comedies for talent shows because I enjoyed seeing people lose it to laughter. <laughs> the family I grew up in, the uncles, the aunts, the cousins, all were laughter friendly. So laughter was always on the menu. I can't remember even a funeral where laughter was outlawed. <laughs> you really do see it as a, a transformative force, don't you? Well, after doing stand-up comedy and decided to let stand-up comedy go for a while and just focus on music, it was a book by Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh, that helped me to realize that I could access the laughter experience without doing comedy and that I could guide other people into the laughter zone and enjoy the deliciousness of laughter without using humor and at the sacrifice of something, of uh, human standards or human character. And now through laughter play shops, I call them, we use laughter to get people into the play zone and to get them into contact with their inner child and to get them into mm -hmm. deep relaxation. Yeah. And I really enjoy laughter now because it can come up out of people without it having to be nervous laughter. Yeah. The, the entire body can get involved, the entire breath can be open, and it's getting sweeter and more delicious every time I do <laughs> one of these. Huh? <laughs> you said it gets us to the play zone. You, you really mean laughter is a way to transcend the thinking mind, just to get out of that? Yes. Someone put it into words, as Rajneesh pointed out, that when you're laughing, really involved with laughter, that you or us or whoever is laughing is not thinking. They're not involved in the thought process, linear thought. That may be so if you're into pure, open laughter. If it's nervous laughter where you're mindful of a threatening situation, that would be a, a different situation. But real, full-bodied, cathartic laughter, you're releasing faster than you can think. So there's no thought process, processing what it is that's being released. It's just yummy, open, nurturing release. Is that cathartic, full-body laughter, is that an expression of bliss for you when it comes out? Just laughing openly can be bliss, but what I'm talking about is conscious bliss or mindful bliss. I've laughed for 70 minutes once, and <laughs> the result was akin to breath work. And breath work, if you've ever mm. done it, Yep. And take you into bliss. Yeah. So on that level, laughter, mindful laughter and uh, intentional laughter can bring us to the bliss zone very easily. When we get back from the break, Laraji tells us what he's learned in his 80 years on this planet. 
Stay with us. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte. Right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture. Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers. Support for the gray area comes from NetSuite. 37,025, one. Uh-oh, you might be thinking, there's Sean saying random numbers again. Well, maybe. But if you're a business owner, then those numbers can make a world of difference. Let's start with 37,000. That's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite. NetSuite is a cloud financial system that can help businesses streamline business stuff like accounting, financial management, inventory, and more. Next up is one of my top 25 favorite numbers, number 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. According to the people at NetSuite, they've spent a quarter century helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days instead of weeks, and drive down expenses. And finally, our last number, the number one. Because your business is one of a kind, so you can get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. That means you can better manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash gray area. That's netsuite.com slash gray area to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash gray area. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. You're obviously a musician, but also a spiritually serious person. And, <laughs> and <laughs> was that good? <laughs> I love it. Um, but you're, you, that spirituality is so central to your life. You've been a professional musician for decades, performing all over the world. You're entangled with the business and the commercial side of music. I, I guess I just wonder how you navigate that element uh, of being a professional musician and being a, a spiritual person at the same time. Well, I did many years ago get it that unless I integrate 
my spiritual nature, I would never be totally happy, content, or experience resolution because I can't get it from the physical world. I'm not hating the physical world, but things in the physical world are temporary. And constantly, we're reminded things come, they stay, and then they leave. And some things are just too beautiful for us to accept that they're ever going to leave. And I grew to understand that behind the world that is changing, there is this spiritual field that if I learn how to embrace it constantly, even while I'm embracing my outer wealth, that when the outer wealth shifts, I'm not bent out of shape because I'm still connected to this inner spiritual platform that doesn't get bent out of shape when the outer world shifts. So for me, staying constant and staying with my spiritual practice allows me to be more playful and less fearful of the physical world and less fearful of change and less fearful of losing. So I find that the spiritual side helps me to be more present, more experimental, and more risk-taking with my music expression. Was there ever an opportunity you had that you couldn't take or wouldn't take because it would have compromised you musically or spiritually? There was one situation that I was hesitating to take, and a friend reminded me that I could sublimate my spiritual message or spiritual energy and do the engagement. So I did it. And I also was reminded spiritually that rather than curse the darkness, light a candle. That shifted me from being gung-ho about resisting wrong assignments, that if I feel I can still shine my light or let light shine, or let joy prevail during that assignment or that gig or project, I will tend to take it. Any gigs that I would not take would be if I thought there was not healthy, either for pollution reasons or that the environmental setting is physically unsafe. But for now, I've been guided to see that every opportunity is an opportunity to represent the all-pervadingness of one spirit. What do you mean by that? I mean that right now, one all-pervading spirit, maybe you could call it bliss, love, or light, is everywhere, not only in the universe, it's creating the universe. Hmm. That all of spirit is everywhere. I can perform anywhere and knowing that all of spirit is there and I can allow spirit's presence to receive reflection and representation in that place. I think I've also heard you say that you think our core spiritual problem is our misidentification with our bodies. What does that mean? I'm not going to ever do this. I wouldn't think of doing this to you, Sean. (laughs) Do what? What are you going to do to me? I would uh, amputate your leg, your feet. You're still there. Your torso, you're still there. Your arms, your elbows, you're still there. That's tough. You're just a head and you're still there. None of your ears and nose goes, you're still there. Your lips and tongue goes, you're still there. Suddenly your head disappears, but you're still there. And you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, I thought I was that body. Look, I'm timeless, I'm invisible, I'm weightless. What do I do with this? And I believe that identification with the physical body, which is birth, that lives and dies, 
and we get attached to it and we get sentimental with it and we try to enjoy its five senses and we forget or we don't access the joy that we can have, more expansive joy we can have through the infinite self that is always here. You, perhaps your buddies, have had an epiphany through the use of certain ceremonies where you're suddenly in another sense of present time and space, a different sense of expansiveness, a different sense of how time is unfolding, slower or not at all. Mm -hmm. And that to have this experience is uh, to be taking advantage of a different form of body. The deepest sense of happiness and joy, I feel, comes from having an intimate communing experience with my eternal present time self, this spiritual presence, which is always here, always everywhere. It just needs to be totally present to dig it and to catch it and to wear it and to behold it. And all these years, playing music, experimenting, performing, composing, creating, what do you know about music now that you didn't know when you started? Oh, yes, because, because it's such an international audience now, and it's taught me that there is a universal receptivity to emotional, sensual, ambient soundscapes. There is uh, an automatic acceptance and receptivity to beautiful music and to beauty being expressed in music, into timelessness, into spiritual voicing through music, that there is a receptive audience. It's taught me that there is an audience here, that there is an inner witness waiting to hear itself reflected in outer music. You're 80 years old. You've, you've been making music for over 40 years. You've lived such an interesting life as an artist and a contemplative. I mean, as you sit here now, today, what is your spiritual mission? What gets you out of bed every day? What gets me out of the bed is uh, mentally, I'll go through what I have to do the moment I get out of bed. <laughs> and I'll visualize myself standing up, either electric toothbrush on my teeth or preparing tea or doing some yoga exercise. Usually what gets me up is a sense of a daily agenda, which is different every day. Something that I'm going to do the day that I'm going to really enjoy, whether it's music performance or designing new tuning or getting to know new piece of equipment or sitting for an extra period of time in meditation, either in lotus position in my house or I'm going for a walk in Central Park or Riverside Park and sitting on a bench in the sun and getting into meditation. What keeps me enthusiastically involved in life and passionately involved with life is the sensation of an eternal non-human intelligence that's generating this thing called creation and is allowing me to participate in it and to co-witness and to co-collaborate with it. And that in the midst of this, it is remaining invisible, remaining infinite, and I'm feeling it through my connection with it. And so it's not 
so much what I'm getting out of bed for, but what I'm getting out of bed as. I'm getting out of bed as this sense of conscious improvisational collaboration within a divine, all-pervading intelligence. But when I'm doing tours and I'm put in a nice, beautiful hotel, I'll get out of bed for the breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what can I say? You are one of one, and it was lovely getting to know you a little bit here. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your calm, cool, collected style. Our producer is John Ahrens. Jorge Just is our editor. Patrick Boyd engineered this episode. And Alex Overington wrote our theme music. All right, as always, you know this. I want to hear from you. Tell me what you think of the episode, especially this one. It's a little offbeat from what we normally do, but that's partly why I wanted to do it. And I'd love to hear what you thought about it. Drop us a line at the gray area at vox.com and share it with your friends, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. New episodes of The Gray Area drop on Mondays. The Gray Area is part of Vox, which doesn't have a paywall. Help us keep Vox free by going to vox.com give.